CinemaSins has a fan club. It's called the Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash CinemaSins. Oh, wait, no, you know what? I am I am absolutely lying. No, I have totally seen Mockingbird. I just looked at it. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Jonathan Watkins from CinemaSins. Hello, hello. And today we have a very special guest. It is producer Adrian Biddle, who has uh, who is part of this movie called The Dark and the Wicked, uh, coming out on November 6th. Thank you for, for uh, giving us your time, Adrian. I, I mean, absolutely my pleasure. Very happy to be here. You know, uh, one thing that I always, the, I think you're the first just straight up producer we've ever talked to before. I believe so, yeah. Um, nice. And one thing that I like to do is sort of kind of, even though this is kind of 101 type stuff, just try to figure out what your job is as producer. Sure. Well, I mean, it's a very strange job title because it, it's a little bit of a catch-all. There's lots of different people who claim the title of producer who do right. different things. Um, I'll, you know, maybe reserve judgment on my feelings on that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, you know, really what, what I, my approach to the role has always been that I'm sort of the translator, right? You know, I look at myself and say, I have an understanding of kind of the bit, the sort of the different pieces of the business and, you know, how they kind of fit together and how everybody thinks that their piece is the most important. Mm -hmm. uh, but, a, a, but a grasp of how, you know, it, it, they're all sort of synergistic relationships. And I also, so I sort of speak the languages of those different departments. I also, weirdly enough, speak artist. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a frustrated anything. Like I, I love being around creative people. I think I'm creative, but I'm not a creator. I don't paint. I don't draw, you know, I'm a decent dancer, but other than that, <laughs> I don't play an instrument. Like, you know, blank page is terrifying to me. That's just not my thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what I, what I sort of, I guess I call myself, I'm an appreciator. So I can look at someone's work and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm sort of putting myself somewhat in your shoes and trying to understand kind of the message you're, you're, you know, you're endeavoring to say and, and kind of have the ability to sort of say, okay, well, I, I think I get what you're putting down. You know, it's working for me here. It's not working for me there. And, um, and then be able to sort of, you know, form a, a relationship of trust or some kind of a, a bond between myself and, and the filmmaker, whether that be the writer or the director or a combination of both, um, and then kind of translate for them into the business aspects. So to be able to sort of help bridge the gap between artist and financier or artist and studio or artist and, you know, technical person if necessary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a facilitator in, in that sense. So I, I, and I help, you know, I hire people and uh, help put the crews together. So I consider myself a creative producer. Mm -hmm. I'm not a line, you know, I'm not a solely a line producer. I'm very hands-on, but, you know, I do see my role as being kind of the overseer of 
here's the vision we sort of sold to our financier. Here's the vision that, you know, you as the filmmaker set out to, to achieve. I think we all agree that that's, you know, what we're, you know, embarking on. Um, and then I, I sort of try to keep the ship afloat and, and get it to the finish line and deliver what it is that we set out to promise without compromising what the filmmaker set out to do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, uh, gives me a really good, uh, idea there. It's, you, you always sort of think that you have this, uh, you know, you have some producers out there that are always, that they have, they have their thumbprint basically on the movie. So like, it doesn't matter who directs it. it you can tell who was the producer of it because of how, you know, that, that they had their little aesthetic that they follow sure. and everything. Absolutely. But, um, would you say that there's anything visually in the movies or anything that you can spot in the movies that you would say, that's my thumbprint right there. It's really more narratively than it is visually. I mean, mm -hmm. I think, you know, like I, you know, what brought Brian and I together 10 years ago, um, and this is our last movie together, but it, it, it's, what was so exciting about that sort of that creative collaboration and that partnership is, you know, he's a writer first. So, you know, we, we kind of looked at the world and in the, from a similar lenses. And I think both had the same level of kind of aspirations of where the genre could go and should go and wasn't going, at least at the time we sort of started. For me, it's more about themes and, um, and story than it is necessarily visual. Mm -hmm. Like to me, I, the, the story has to kind of speak to me on some level. And, mm -hmm. and that's really my, my through line. I like complicated characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have seen, uh, I, I don't know how many Jonathan has seen. I've, I've seen a couple of movies that you're, uh, that you've produced. One of them is called he's out there. Um, which is, uh, a really, really, uh, uh, it's a really fun horror movie. Um, uh, Thanks. Uh, and, uh, and this, and that, and this movie and, uh, the dark and the wicked, I think the dark and the wicked definitely has a, has a different style. You have to, different directors and everything, but, um, there is, it, there is some sort of, uh, movement I feel like going on where there's a, there's a, it, it, the, especially the dark and the wicked has this, uh, Ari Aster kind of feel to it. Uh, this, uh, the, the horror movies that A24 is coming out with. And I know this is Shudder, so I don't mean to like, you know. No, I, my last two movies were A24, so I get you. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's sort of what I got feeling uh, when I was uh, when I was watching The Dark and the Wicked. But uh, just quickly touch on uh, He's Out There. I thought that was a really well-made film. Um, I agree uh the um it's it's uh it's it's scary in a different kind of way and i can't quite put my finger on it because i've just recently seen it but uh but uh, tell me what your experience was like on that well that was a that was a tough one um uh, you know we were this is a, a weird project because a number of people that i worked with sort of stepped away from the movie oh really so i'm loath to I, I you know i'm not sure like what i'm supposed to say what i'm not <laughs> oh. supposed to say <laughs> I will, I will say this. I will say this. So Mike Scannell uh, wrote the script mm -hmm. and, um, and Mike had Mike and Brian knew each other from uh, UT Austin, like way back in the day, they'd been friends for years or whatever. And so, uh, you know, I met Mike through Brian and, and, and I just, I think he's a fantastic writer and he still lives in, in Austin. But anyway, he, um, he was actually a part of the dark and the wicked, but he was the screenwriter on that. I think he's extraordinarily talented. And I think the whole idea, uh, you know, behind that 
that that story was you know just to tap into this idea of just you know again being alone and isolated and and having someone who um yeah it was just an interesting villain it was an interesting mythology the script had all of those things going for it and mm-hmm. so thought, you know we could just make a very simple very straightforward film uh, off a good script so i'm glad you guys liked it yeah i will tell you that is one of the most accurate portrayals of children in that situation because whenever i see these types of movies and kids are in it they're always so quiet yeah. and they're always like behaving right that would never happen like if my daughter and i were in this situation she'd be screaming and like mm-hmm. you know what's so nuts about children actors yeah. this is you know i mean you know we we made the monster and, and ella valentine was the lead in the monster and, mm-hmm. and he was older than than these girls were but you know they're like little robots it's so bizarre so mm. you're on set and they come in and they're happy and they're laughing and the director's freaking out because it's like, how am I going to get them there? How am I going to make them scream and cry? And then it's like, okay, you know, here's this, you know, the director sits down and says, you know, here's the setup, here's what's going on. And they're like, great. And then camera rolls and they're like, ah! or they're screaming and, you know, heart wrenching and, oh my God, I can't breathe. You know, there's that scene and he's out there when she's having an asthma attack and, and then someone calls cut and they're like, how was it? <laughs> and you're just like, What? I got to tap into something. No, it's literally just instructions. And, uh, and I find them amazing. <laughs> yeah, I heard that, actually. Well, like I heard that about Jacob Tremblay on Dr. Sleep. They said he was just screaming bloody murder and actually the adults were terrified, but then right. he'd be laughing or something once all was said and done, you it's know, really weird. It's a weird <laughs> thing. And I, I, they're just resilient and they don't take any of it too seriously. And this notion of, Oh, it's make believe I think is very clear for them. Um, so it just doesn't have the same emotional baggage as sometimes working with an adult going through a difficult scene. Can Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. They, they were, yeah, they were super good. And it like, uh, there's a, there's a moment in there where, you know, uh, Yvonne Strahovski is, is looking outside the window and doesn't see the kids and you're like, Oh no, what happened? But they're, they're there. They're just, they're coming back. And, um, and I was like, Oh, you know, one of the girls seems to have a little bit of a secret, but she's not doing anything overt that makes me think that. It's just that I just, just, you could, if you know, kids, you know, that there's something going on that they're not saying. And I thought that was, you know, it, it wasn't anything like when the, when, when the reveal there is something that they've been hiding or whatever. I didn't feel like I was smart. I just felt like they did something really good with their performance to make mm-hmm. me think that. Um, and uh, I was like, man, they're, they're, they're actually, yeah, actually really good. How in the world do you find kids who, who, who act this way? They were great. They're actually sisters. Uh, oh, in really? Real in real life. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and, 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 and Anna and Abby, they were just, they were great. I mean, they really were, were such pros and, you know, and our director, uh, spent time working with them and talking to them or whatever. And that, you know, that whole sequence, you know, the, the cupcake in the bathroom and all of it, like it's one, it was one of my favorite sequences in the, in the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, the idea that you, you pull out this cupcake and it's just hope, ugh, it's like the grossest thing and, <laughs> yeah, it's so terrifying and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I thought you know Yvonne's fantastic, obviously, um, mm. but uh, but the girls really nailed it. I mean, they really understood what our filmmaker was trying to get at, especially in that the scene you pointed out when she's kind of you know she hides the cupcake under her shirt, and mm-hmm. you know I I was so glad that that subtlety that was in the script the filmmaker understood the studio didn't fuck with 
like they did everything else. Um, and, uh, <laughs> wow, that, that um, but, but, but yeah, the, and they really pulled it off. So, yeah, yeah. And that, plus, that... we shot that movie outside of Montreal at this, the locate, it was unreal. And, and mm. we, we owned a sort of, we owned a hotel that had sh completely shut down. It was like a mountain resort, like think the Catskills, like dirty dancing kind of place. Mm -hmm. Same era, like they had an indoor tennis court, but not <laughs> like old school, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, and they were shutting down to renovate, and so we owned it. So it was like us and our crew in the middle of fucking nowhere in the woods of Canada. You know, it was perfect. It was like the Overlook. I mean, no, mm. everyone was like, it's just like the Overlook, the big long hallways. I mean, it was just this giant infrastructure. So it was a crazy experience. Not only the script was cool and the filmmaking project was cool, but the setting was remarkable. I mean, that, oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, take, uh, so, and, and Jonathan, I know that you've seen, uh, others, but it's sort of as a segue into this one, uh, you know, we, you've mentioned, uh, uh, you've mentioned Brian Bertino. Um, he he came onto the scene with The Strangers, which is one of my favorite horror movies of the the last decade, uh, la last last decade. Um, and uh, and uh, then he made a movie. Is it is it? You've, have you seen the monster, Jonathan? Yes. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. No, I mean, I just, um, I mean, that that's another really cool movie. Now he made Mockingbird before that, though, right? Oh, so yeah. you've seen that too. I have not. Unfortunately, I have not seen Mockingbird. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's totally okay. <laughs> oh wait, no. You know what? I'm. I am absolutely lying. No, I have totally seen Mockingbird. I just <laughs> looked at it. <laughs> I am such a liar. Right. No, I remember in this now. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, this one, uh, Mockingbird, because that was a little bit after uh, the Strangers. I know he was, uh, or maybe both of you were trying to get this one. Uh, uh, made and released, correct? So I'll sort of start at the beginning and I'll try to be brief. So yeah. I met Brian before I worked at a company called Rogue Pictures. And yeah. uh, I met oh, him yeah. in general and, you know, we, we were, you know, we hit it off just in the meeting. I thought this guy's incredibly smart. And I read a sample, which was The Strangers. And I was like, that's the scariest script I've read in years. So I go for my job interview when Rogue Pictures is born. And in my job interview, you know, the, the, my, my future boss sort of says to me, you know, is there any scripts that you've read lately that you love? And I said, Oh my God, I just read this incredible script by this writer named Brian Bertino and, and it's called the strangers. And he was like, you know, that we own it. So I thought, Oh shit, I'm never getting this job. I should have done my homework. <laughs> we had this big long conversation. Anyway, long story short, I get the job. So I am now a studio executive at Rogue pictures. And so, um, we, one of my first projects, I said, I want to, I want to run the strangers. I want that to be my, my movie. And through a variety of different circumstances, Brian was not supposed to direct it. He'd never directed anything before, like nothing, no shorts, nada. Um, but I said to my boss, I said, look, you got to meet this kid. You know, he's, he's very impressive and that we should, you know, whatever, have it overall with him or something anyway. So they have this great meeting and my boss kind of picks up the vibes that I do, which is, he should probably direct this this script. Well, that was kind of news to the producers. They were not certain because, you know, it's a studio movie and, and, and you know, he was an unproven commodity. Anyway, I sort of convinced everybody that my boss sort of shepherded the, 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 the whole thing and said, you know, Brian should be the guy to direct it. And then I stepped off. I, I did not oversee that movie or any of the making of it. So that is not, 
I can't take any credit for it, but I did get Brian that job. So cut to, you know, however many years later, uh, the world melts down. We have the big financial crash and uh, GE, who was the parent company of Universal, who owned Rogue, sold the division. So Brian had had, because of the success of The Strangers, it was Universal's most profitable movie that year. Everyone loved it, whatever. We had lots of projects with him. Um, we were going to do Strangers, you know, we had, he was writing, he wrote the script for Strangers 2. He had mm-hmm. another script that we had uh, bought, like we were going to be in the Brian Bertino business. And then we got sold. So mm-hmm. Brian's work life kind of came to a halt through no fault of his own because there was a transfer of ownership. And in that transfer of ownership, when Rogue was sold to Relativity, Relativity didn't do anything with the slate that we had built. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are like, where did Brian Bertino go? Well, the truth is he went the road of, oh shit, my whole work life is wrapped up in this company that doesn't exist anymore. So now I've got to, you know, find something else. So I was found myself out without a job uh, because, you know, when, when they went to Relativity, they were like, fuck you very much and see ya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so Brian and I had become, uh, I had hired him to do a rewrite, whatever. We had become friendly and we were just sort of talking. And I said, you know, we should have a production company together. Like that's what we should do. So about a year after I left Rogue, he and I formed a, 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 a business. And the first project that we did was Mockingbird um, that he originally also ran a piece of trivia. Sam Ishmael, you know, he's responsible for uh, Mr. Robot and he did homecoming. Mm-hmm. And so Sam has a career. Anyway, Sam and came up with this, the, the concept for Mockingbird because Sam and Brian are friends and we're friends back from a ways before Sam was big Sam Ishmael. I can, I can totally see that being a concept he would come up with based on Mr. Robot yeah. and, uh, and homecoming. Yeah. That's very cool. So the two of them brainstormed that. So if you look at, if you ever watch mockingbird, there there's a story by credit for Sam Ishmael in there. Okay. But, um, and then we were going to, it was going to be an experimental film and we had a filmmaker who, you know, was a, a baby filmmaker who we liked and we were like, let's just do it. And the problem was everybody heard that Brian had, Brian had written the script eventually for it. And we were talking about this being a ver- an experimental movie, you know, let's make it for, you know, no money at all and go and do interesting stuff. And we're going to shoot it all. You know, it, 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 we had a whole production plan and all the distributors were like, well, Brian, we don't want to, we're not interested. You need to direct it. You need to direct it. You need to direct it. So after a million of instances of this, he finally said, fine, like, let's just get it off the ground and direct it. So he was never supposed to, um, but he did. And, uh, and it is what it is. And we, you know, we made it, we were the first movie, I think that Jason Blum did under his deal at Universal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that was, um, you know, that was a weird, again, that was sort of a weird, movie on it was supposed to be an experimental film that we didn't that brian didn't direct and ultimately that changed into a studio movie that brian oh that's direct. interesting um also weird so so yeah that was that was mockingbird and then after mockingbird um i believe the next one was uh the black coat's daughter which yeah which is, is just freaking amazing that was uh you worked with oz perkins i was really curious about working with him because he's incredible he's an incredible yeah. human being I, it, I loved every minute of that making of that movie with him and it, it took us four years because oz like brian was someone that i read the script i fell in love with it i met oz they were he, they remind me of each other in a weird way oz is brian's very tall he's six foot four oz is mm-hmm. four 
I say this with no like, ugh, but I, I objectively, Brian's an attractive person. Oz is an attractive person. <laughs> I thought mm -hmm. here's someone who is a unknown quantity, but I can stick them in a room with any actor and the actor will enjoy that conversation because they're smart, they're articulate, they understand mm -hmm. the material. And, you know, it's clear that they see the movie in their head, even if they don't have a sample to support it. So um, we said, Oz, you need to direct the movie and we'll support you to do that. And then four years later, we found someone who agreed to do it. <laughs> it took us four years to get that movie off the ground. Oh my God. It was, uh, yeah. And I, I, I just remember they like, it kept, it was going to come out and then it wasn't. And I was just, I was getting really excited about two it. Two years after we were done. I mean, that was yeah. a whole, like, it was, yes, it was a crazy process. Yeah. I mean, Cause I didn't have friends of mine had seen it at film festivals and stuff. And yeah. yeah so everyone thought his next Netflix movie was his first movie. Yeah. It came out, I think maybe even after it, you know? No, I think, I believe it did. I, I'm yeah. almost positive. I saw it's the, uh, it was, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, now. The, the pretty girl I'm lives the in the lives in the house. Yes. I, I saw that before I saw black coats. So it was like within a month of each other. I think the Blu-ray came out of black coats like yeah. a few weeks after it or something. And, uh, that just blew me away. Cause that was, uh, Emma Roberts and, um, uh, from, yeah, yeah, Kieran Shipka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was just oh, that movie was so and that movie before Lucy Boynton. Lu yes, Lucy that Boynton. was my first. That was my first experience with Lucy Boynton. Yeah, um, that movie. Yeah, that movie just blew me away. Uh, and I, 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 I typically watch that around this time of year. Uh, every year, it's kind of become like a. It's it's very wintry, so yeah. it works. It works really that nice was around this time of year. That was a that that is truly a, a movie from start to finish that I am most proud of that i was most happy with that i had the best experience on it really oh, that's great a, to hear a terrific experience and and oz is is a real talent yeah because just going back a little bit to mockingbird though yeah. and i um because now that i realize i've seen it um <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> i remember the thing i remember about that though was that was really before like we didn't really know what streaming like stuff that was going straight to streaming was going to be because i believe mockingbird eventually i mean it, I, I think it it might have premiered before that, but I feel like as far as getting eyes on it was Netflix. It, um, it was, it Blum waited a minute. I mean, you know, we had a little yeah. bit of the trouble of found footage fatigue. And so, you know, you have a movie mm -hmm. that's different and interesting and all that stuff as it might be, that medium had just kind of worn out its welcome. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and again, love the movie or hate it. I, I still think a little bit of a knock against it at the time was just we were not first. Um, yeah, but but the premise itself is so interesting, though. You know, the people finding the cameras or the cameras were were sent to them, and yeah. and then they start getting these instructions that they have to record. Or I mean, it was just a it's such a cool setup. And I just remember being like, this is the guy who directed the strangers and this is just going to Netflix. And I was, you know, like, I didn't know what to think. And then I watched it and I was like, why wasn't that in theaters? <laughs> like, yeah. And, that, and was, that totally should have been in a theater, you know, at just, the time. I mean, our business is such a weird, it, yeah. you know, it has changed so dramatically since I started down this road of, of producing on my own. Like it has just been so different. And so, you know, I sort of look, the, what I tell myself so I can sleep at night and, and, you know, not jump off a bridge is like, Oh, I'm just ahead. Of, I've just been ahead of my time a bunch. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, um, uh, you know, the, that was a fun movie to make too. I mean, we actually, well, I, I won't, no spoilers, but uh, the red mm -hmm. balloon stuff was, was pretty nuts. Um, oh yeah. And, I bet. 
<laughs> and fun fun to do so anyway it's no yeah no i totally i totally recommend that movie to anybody who hasn't who hasn't seen it uh the monster though that was one of the first times i remember seeing zoe kazan in anything and um and then ella ballantyne is that the that's who played the the daughter correct yep. um they were just really that's the one thing i i always remember i mean i haven't seen it in a few years but that's the thing i took away from that movie was that really interesting mother-daughter relationship because you know the zoe kazan character isn't necessarily a good a good a good person uh yeah. in some ways uh but then they're you know they're stuck in that situation where they have to you know they have a there's a monster and uh as the title says yeah. um and that that's just i i just love um I don't know those those movies. I would think would be kind of fun to make, where you're just it's almost like one setting. I mean, you did flashbacks, but uh, there's like one main setting, and you don't, you know, and then you've got something's out there trying to get them. I just it always like that that type of thing just draws me in immediately. So yeah, it was. I mean, we we tried to make it. You know, we actually believe it or not, we shot Black Coat's daughter and the monster on the same campus it was like oh, a, wow. a randomly shut half shut down university in ontario canada and it just so happened that when we were shooting black coat's daughter we had gotten financing a24 had bought the monster so we were looking for a good location to shoot mm. that movie in as i was wrapping up black coats and you know my my um my my unit guy on 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 black coats was like i just drove down this place because we need we wanted a road we needed to own a road and owning a road practically speaking from a producer standpoint is actually quite complicated um because you know you can't leave it if it's a working road what are you going to do own it for mm -hmm. nights you know um so and anyway we we happened to find something that worked uh on the same spot and so we had a we were in the middle of the fucking woods in the middle of the summer <laughs> we had mosquito sprays Shh, don't tell epa because uh, we were in the summer in you know muggy wooded wet it was awful it was it was absolutely miserable and that movie was almost an entire night shoot i mean it was brutal but oh, wow um it was uh you know, Zoe and Ella just give unbelievable performances. And as I was saying in the beginning of our conversation, like, you know, the complicated nature of her character was wonderful to me. You know what I mean? Because I think mothers take all different, you know, are come in all different shapes and sizes and love looks very different a lot of the mm -hmm. time. And sometimes it's, you know, 100% great and sometimes it's 25% great but it's still love and sort of how do you process that and and you know my mother and I are very very close and we have a complicated relationship and she's a wonderful woman and I'm not saying she's Zoe Kazan because she's not um, <laughs> but you don't always get along with them they don't always do stuff that 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 makes sense to you and and I I thought that that was something you don't see a lot explored in in movies you know especially I think with with women complicated women and mothers are a, a weird they're either super awful or they're super awesome yeah but the the the, the gray nature of of all of us i think is it what is what really kind of stood out to me in that in that project and um and zoe is a phenomenal actor and so you know mm -hmm. you really needed to get somebody of that skill level to be able to kind of put all that out there so you're not being overly wordy because as you all have probably noticed brian is not the 
most verbose of writers. <laughs> so, like, a lot of silence in his stuff, which I think is spectacular because, I mean, that's life. You know, not everybody's as chatty as me. Yeah, uh, I think the great, the bringing up the great, I think that's the best way to put it because I was hesitant to even say she wasn't like a great person because then I think people are just that haven't seen it are just going to think like, oh, she's mommy dearest or, uh-huh. you know, because that's typically like you said, that's it's one extreme or the other, right? Yeah. So uh, she just feels like a real mother <laughs> that yeah that is having that is going through something you know uh, young mother she had an issue issues and you know we kind of all struggle through life trying to do our best Mm -hmm. and uh and i think that that's really real you know part of the reason i love the genre and and it's why i've I've sort of done it most of my career is you know you used to have sort of great theatrical quality dramas right where you could explore like dark shit abortion Mm -hmm fucking you know miscarry what i don't mm-hmm. even go on like mommy stuff but you know abuse like all kinds of dark bits of all of i mean you know you go back to the shining he's an alcoholic like he's an abusive father like there are all of these sort of nooks and crannies that used to just be kind of the, the purview of the genre but if you stick like a ghost or a vampire or you know a monster you can tell those stories now and and you can do it you know, in a spot where you're going to get a lot of people are going to having a good time. It's like, it's like flavored cough medicine, you know, <laughs> it's, it's there's still interesting stuff to discuss and explore and examine in yourself. And, and this is the kind of genre uh, movies that, that I personally like, like, and like to work on. And, you know, again, there's lots of fun horror movies out there that don't have big things to say or aren't overly complicated. And those are awesome. I just like the stuff that, you know, if you look in the corners and the cracks, you can, you know, you can kind of get into some interesting questions and, and, and look in the mirror and be like, oh, you know, there's there's something with a little bit more depth there. And uh, and I scare you to boot. And that's, you know, that's that's my, the draw for me. <laughs> well, you're saying that uh, Brian Bertino is not uh, verbose is what sort of lends itself to what the kind of mood is being set in the dark and the wicked. Um I don't know if it's been a while since I've seen a movie that made me feel this hopeless beginning to end. <laughs> yeah, totally fair. Um, you know, like from the beginning in the past, for sure. Um, from the beginning, you're sitting there going, I don't think this is going to get better. I don't know if this is ever going to get better. Like as far as like the mood of the, of the movie. Um, and, and it, and it just draws you into this whole thing where you're sort of stealing yourself up for, you know, it's possible they may not be able to get out of this. (laughs) And, and, and you just sit there and watch this movie going, Oh my God, is there, is there a way out? I don't know if there is. Um, and I think what happens here is I don't I don't know if if this is the the thought process uh, in the directing, but um, is it is it the fact that there's like more long is there longer takes and there's just more taking your time and and there's uh, fewer jump scares is that sort of how you create that environment or is there some more to it? Actually, if you break down the dark and the wicked, there are more scares pound for pound in that movie than there are in a lot of the other stuff that we've done. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I think that, that, you know, from a filmmaker's point of view, you know, Brian has always had the ability to sort of create a frame 
and he's you know he's got a a, a good taste in he's good taste in, in cinematographers you know they really get on the same page but you know whether it's negative space like there are lots of sort of tricks of the trade that you can do to kind of create that atmosphere but to your your point i think that we as viewers and i think this runs into studios and to filmmakers too we get a little impatient right we're so used to kind of the frenetic pace of of movies you know and we certainly had an era of kind of this you know quick cuts and the michael bay sort of Mm -hmm. editorial style and just sort of overly stimulated short attention span you know and and i think that brian demonstrated in the strangers and does it again here and james wan did it when you know looking back and saying you know insidious also took its time Mm -hmm. filmmakers who are patient is i think really crucial in this in this spot because if you think about when you're home by yourself at night and you hear a weird sound like there's no score there's no sting there's no action soundtrack there's no cg beast it's Mm -hmm. you alone in the dark with a noise right And, and that moment can last in your head for an hour and and that tension is what creates that tone and so i think having it's it's like a balloon right you've got to inflate the balloon and and the balance is when do you let the air out of the balloon and so you know i think the really skilled filmmakers who know how to create tension are the ones who have a a good instinctive and intuitive feeling for when to let that air out so you kind of build it and build it and the audience is leaning in. They're waiting for something to happen. It's like comedy, right? You know, it's mm. all timing. So you're, where's the moment between I've leaned in so long that now I'm bored or I've leaned in so long that I'm so tense that like when it comes, I'm like, ah, you know, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that I think is what, what Brian does very, very well in terms of that. And, and, you know, going into the editing room with him, Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, like I can't watch this frame any longer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the truth is usually he's a little bit too long and I'm way too short. Mm-hmm. You know, it's somewhere in the middle, but that instinct of we all want that, that tension to be released, you know, mm-hmm. but you forget that that's a good thing, not a bad thing. I don't, I don't know if it's because I don't know. I'm, I'm much older now. I'm 43 and I did a, you know, a bunch of I, I worked a, 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 in a movie theater as a projectionist and watched hundreds of horror movies and and the the pop horror sensibility I started getting really tired of I yeah. I, I, I I don't I in general I don't like them it takes somebody like James Wan to do something that I really care about um, uh, in in horror when it comes to the pop horror stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's a breath of fresh air as, as I, I did bring up the fact that this movie is super hopeless, but the thing is, it's watching it, uh, is, is still a breath of fresh air because I'm sitting there going at like, yes, this is, this is an awful thing, but I'm also like, uh, engrossed in it. Uh, whereas with pop horror with the, like you mentioned the score, and the the quick editing and the, and and just out of nowhere jump scares like that makes no sense whatsoever yeah. uh you know to see something like this is just a balm to those type of movies 
Well, that's great to hear. I mean, that's kind of what we we wanted to set out to do. And 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 I, you know, if it says anything, Brian's single source or not single, but his primary source of inspiration, one probably his favorite movie of all time, the thing that kind of tells you everything you know is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I mean, his personal dream is I want someone at the end of my movies to cry and scream at the same time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there is a, you know, there's certainly a, a dark and, and despairing tone that's here. But I, I think, you know, again, going back to sort of themes or whatever, like grief is a bitch, man, you mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. and, and it, it is, and and you know and and my hope when I first read the script, well, actually when Brian first pitched me the idea and we started talking about making this movie, it was like the thing that I thought was would hopefully reach a lot of people is as we all get older, we're all dealing with everyone's parents are going to die. It's mm. if they haven't already. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible, sad, not particularly tragic cycle of life, but nonetheless a huge impact or not, depending on who you are and what your relationships are. But it, it is something we are all going to go through and. I think something that a lot of us don't think very much about with good reason. I don't want to sit around and think about my parents dying, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. um, but it's real and it's, and it's weird. And, you know, we're not it, the idea that all of a sudden you're going to be like, I've got to take care of somebody else. And what does that look like? And am I close to like, we, it's just a thing that I think happens that takes a lot of us by surprise and, um, and it can be awkward and challenging and, you know, just like in The Strangers, I mean, one of the things that I loved about that movie and when I first read the script is sort of, I think what he's done here also on, on The Dark and the Wicked is you're dealing with a very real life piece of, of drama. You know, The Stranger starts out with a couple going out on a retreat and she's breaking up with him when mm-hmm. he asked her to marry him. Like, that's awkward and terrible and they're stuck in this house in the middle of nowhere and she just said no, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's awful. And so you kind of lean into that drama. You're like, how is this going to play out? Same goes here. You know, they're coming home, they're dealing with this, this grief and you leaning in saying, okay, how's that going to play out? And then you introduce, you know, the something else. And, um, and that just kind of, you know, peels more of the poor peels more of the layers back, right? Fear is the great clarifier. And, um, and I think that that was, you know, sort of the interesting part of, of, of this, of this story in this movie is, you know, fear really kind of reveals who we are. Um, yeah. You don't have time or energy for pretense, you know, and 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 that's another reason I like it. I, I was just going to say, I guess the, a little bit of a background on what this movie is about. I, I don't think we've actually talked about it, but it's really, really depressing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. It's filled. I guess. I guess if there's a common <laughs> horror term, you could say it's filled with dread. Yeah. Uh, throughout it um uh but uh you know it's uh it, the the father of the family is very sick uh, and the and a brother and sister come out to visit the mother says you should just go back home and not worry about this but she's acting strangely and then this movie basically you know all of the characters who are on this uh farm uh basically start uh, I don't know, hallucinating, waking nightmare, that type of thing uh, is going on in 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 this, where 
you know, the, the, the sort of reality and, and fantasy are all sort of blended in together, but um, go, go ahead, Jonathan, you were about to ask a question. Oh, well, I was just, you know, you were talking about, I, I just, one thing that really got me about this movie was how it did deal with, uh, it felt so relatable if anybody's lost their parent or, and on top of that, if anybody's had to actually take care of their parents, Yes. Um, you know, because I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there's clearly something going on outside of that, but at the same time, you know, the, the, is, is it pronounced, is it Marin Ireland? Is that how you pronounce it? Marin. Marin, sorry. Uh, Marin Ireland, who's great in this movie. Um, yeah, she is. She's, you know, she's kind of stuck though. It's like, even though there's this stuff going on, she can't do anything about it. She still has to take care of her dad. Yep. And, uh, you know, just that, um, does feel a little hopeless and a little, you know, terrifying. Right. Um, and I love that too. It's realistic. Like they, uh, they, you know, they, they try to, they try to do things like leave and, and there's just, there's reasons that they can't. Yeah. Um, and which, which I always love because, you know, that's a thing with a lot of supernatural house movies is that like, why wouldn't you just go? <laughs> yeah, just go, go, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Well, and, and, and you're so right. I mean, that, that was the thing that I thought that I, you know, I have, you have those aha light bulb moments when, when you read scripts. And, and I remember when I read the first draft of this, I was like, oh man, I just love the fact that they can't leave. And it like, <laughs> you just can't like based on the, the, sto- the way the story goes, you can't like there is, it's not even a discussion worth having. Like it's mm-hmm. obvious that you can't in that situation and it's organic and authentic and man, that would suck. You know, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. what a bummer. I don't know if you guys know this, that is Brian's family's farm. Oh no. Oh wow. No, I know that. Yes. We shot that on his, that is where his, his, uh, his father and his stepmother live. And, um, and the house that we shot in is actually a house that is on the property that Brian goes and writes at. Hmm. So uh, that is where he wrote the script for this. And it must have been fun setting yeah. up a whole movie set on there then, because uh, he knows the all the ins and outs of that place and and knows what uh, where to where to creep you out and everything. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had taught the production plan around this movie was unusual for us, and we had done it deliberately. Uh, a, a little bit of like a reuniting of a number of different facets of, you know, whatever journeys along the way. Sonny Molly, who was one of the producers on The Strangers, is a was a producer alongside myself on the movie, as is Kevin Matuso, who was one of my uh, producing partners on The Black Coats Daughter. So who had, and, and Brian was a producer on The Black Coats as well. And anyway, we kind of all known each other and worked together in the past and had the same sort of sense. And Sonny had had made a movie um, that I think is coming out that Blumhouse is releasing um, uh, called, I, I believe they retitle, it's called Based on True Events or Inspired by True Events, I think is the new title. Mm-hmm. The movie's actually amazingly good. I, I really loved it. But oh, cool. he had he had done this movie for a very in a very unusual way, budgetarily and kind of how he constructed all of this. And um, he gave Brian the idea who then came to me and said, you know what, maybe we should try to do what Sonny did and make a movie like this, um, which would give us freedom and, and we can experimental in some ways, you know, um, but do it through my lens, not through Sonny's lens. Mm-hmm. So we, when, when he wrote the script, he thought, all right, well, in order to accomplish this sort of unique production plan, how, 
I got to find a story that is organic to that as opposed to just doing something more cheaply. Like I hate it when movies do that, when you're like, Oh, that movie should have been made for $10 million. And clearly they had two. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't, you want it to feel organic. It's like, you know, Oh, let's, you know, submit your iPhone movie. And it's like, well, unless it kind of makes sense that you're shooting it on an iPhone. Otherwise it just looks like you're shooting your phone on your camera and it's mm-hmm. why not just shoot it on a regular camera. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, he was like, I, I understand the logistics of this on my farm makes sense. You know what I mean? I get it. It's, I have access to it. And we're in the middle of fucking nowhere in Texas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, the goats creep me out and I mean, it's a working goat farm. Like, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so he wrote it there with all, with sort of our whole thing in, 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 in mind. And, uh, and it, it came together really nicely. I mean, look, they're the best reviews that we've gotten in our, so far in our career. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, part of me is like the movie's good, but uh, people are seeming to love it, and I, I'm so glad. I mean, it was a it was a a real challenge, but uh, but I think it came together. And Tristan Nyby won um, best cinematographer out of Sigis this year for this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, and and the movie's beautiful. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, if you go back to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's beautiful. You know what I mean? It's a beautiful absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and we always sort of and you think about The Shining. Like, The Shining is a gorgeous movie, and uh, and that was another, you talk about what well, you asked me the question about visual aesthetic. I think it's, these movies should look like movies. They should be beautiful and well composed and shot on appropriate equipment and have lighting. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that is important to the genre. It just gives it the respect and seriousness I think it deserves. Well, and, he, and Bertino doesn't shy away from the gore by any means. I mean, there's there's one scene in particular in this movie that was just like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, though, it, it's 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 not a lot of you know, it's it's more like you said, it's more about the atmosphere and the aesthetic, and uh, which is really interesting because I think a lot of people that haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, haven't seen it in a long time, don't realize that that movie is borderline PG as far as yeah. uh, you know visuals. People think The Strangers uh, has all this violence, literally. Yeah. They're- there's two there's two shots with blood in it in the entire mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. yeah um, and uh and i and again it's you know our philosophy is i don't mind gore just earn mm-hmm. it you know what i mean all you gotta do is well, earn it. and and, and the scene the scene in question in, in dark and the wicked definitely earns it so mm-hmm. well good i'm glad yeah. but yeah, 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 yeah that's absolutely. the thing like it's you know I horror should is a is a is a state of mind. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. a blood bucket. So, I um, that's the goal to just get under your skin. You know, I uh, I really appreciated the sound design on this movie. Those uh, guys fucking killed it. Yeah, they yeah. did. They killed it. I mean, you know, Sonny had worked with them on his movie. He introduced us to them. It's uh, Joe Stockton out of. Um, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, really? um, They they nailed it. I mean, they just did an unbelievable job on this Mm -hmm. film. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's one of those where the sound of this movie is is uh, is is so important to uh, how you're feeling and everything. Just to you know, some 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 stuff you hear in the background and and uh you know it's just uh it puts you in that environment uh, really well well the the thing i think you know brian has always felt this way and strangers had it too it's like you know score is important but again i go back to my story there isn't any when you're home by yourself in the dark you mm-hmm. know and so on some level i think silence if if 
done well um, is scarier than anything you can come up with. And, and so populating that silence with kind of ambient whatever is the hallmark of a good horror sound designer. And, um, and it's, it's incredibly important. And, uh, you know, I always say this, and unfortunately, it's, it's not as relevant as it used to be, but I used to always say sound design is the visual effects of horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you're right. Now everyone's using visual effects, which I personally think, you know, take away from, uh, I, I'm a huge practical effect nerd, but yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's true. You know, it is, it is the, the most important thing of, of, I think a lot of horror movies. I mean, it's, even it's if everything. a practical effect looks bad, it's still real, you know, like, yes. uh, that's the, that's the whole, my whole, uh, end argument to all of that. Uh, a, a visual effect never ever does uh, and and it doesn't matter I mean it just, ne- it just doesn't matter ever whereas if you know you make a practical effect and oh that looks cheesy well at least it looks like something I can actually touch so yeah uh, we we briefly we briefly talked about uh, the actors in this Marin mm-hmm. Ireland is great I, I haven't I haven't seen nearly enough of her. Uh, I looked at her credits after this and I was like, Oh, well I missed that. And I missed that. Uh, <laughs> uh, hell or high water is the, is the, the, the top uh, credit that I've seen her in. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have, you know, she has like a couple of scenes in that movie. She's great in it. But in this movie, I don't know. I'm very, very drawn to her. Uh, there's something, and you know, obviously Michael Abbott's really good too, but this is her movie, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, and, uh, and she, there's just something about her eyes and her expressions in this. You're always looking to it as your sort of guide through this movie. And, uh, so yeah, tell me about her and tell me how you got her on this movie. Uh, Sonny actually brought, Brian had, was a huge fan of Marin's. And, um, but Sonny had made a movie, uh, produced a movie actually, um, with, um, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name right now? I'm a huge fan of his and I'm such an idiot. Take <laughs> shelter. Help me. It's Jeff Nichols. Yes. So Jeff Nichols and Sonny had done this movie together and it was, um, Marin and Michael had played brother and sister together. So when we were talking about Marin, who we'd been fans of because Brian liked her and Sneaky Pete and some of the other mm. Uh, stuff that she had done and he's his whole thing is i want an actor who feels like a person like a real person you mm-hmm. know and, and and you know who gets it who has character in their face you know mm-hmm. and 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 who who's just a real actor you know who, who really is 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 that and so we've we try to go out and to find people who you know may not have done the genre before you know what i mean so they're unexpected so you don't have such a you're not like oh it's it's you know it's a Mila Jovovich movie. I like yeah. Mila Jovovich movies, but they're, you know, it's like Tom Cruise, right? Mm-hmm. Like just to be able to lose yourself in a character or someone that you don't associate in this genre, I think is something that we always felt was important, you know, yeah. to keep people and, and pull them into the story. And so um, Brian was a huge fan of Marin, really fought hard, was like, I want her in this movie. And, and, and then Sonny ex- exposed us to Michael because he'd been in this movie before and he's like, this guy's amazing. Like he's just a really good actor. And mm-hmm. so, um, and, and since again, we were a very small movie, they knew each other. We knew that was going to be helpful. And, um, and so it, it, it just kind of came together, but you know, we were all living in the middle of nowhere in this little tiny town in Texas. And, um, you know, and she, she really brought it. I mean, you know, it, it is a, it is a hard movie and, uh, and she went there you know, yeah. um, and Michael did too. 
they were they were really they were total pros to work with. It was uh, it was it was a delight because you know as you point out like a movie like this can live or die on that lead actor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not saying a lot, so you need the the the, the actors to convey the stuff that's going on between to kind of give you the emotional ballast. And, and as you said, the, the sort of guidepost, like I'm looking to you to tell me kind of how I'm supposed to feel right now or, or how you're feeling. And that will translate to me. And, and she's an incredibly ex, uh, expressive actor. Also, Ella Valentine, the lead of the monster oh, or, yeah, uh, yeah. is, uh, is, you know, has, has her cameo or I guess, <laughs> A much more, uh, much older Ella Valentine. She's amazing. So yeah, she is. She's uh, that that the is a sort of a combination of what she does and what uh, Brian does in this. Where uh, there's a, you know, it's it starts off uh, fairly normal her introduction, but there yeah. just through some subtleties of what she does through as the scene progresses, it really just like gets you on edge and everything. Um, uh, Jonathan, you were about to say something. Oh, I was just, oh, I was just commenting that that was interesting. You said Marin and Michael had played brother and sister before. Mm-hmm. That's really because they they feel like brother and sister. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it was we knew the pairing worked. Brian loosely based some of these characters on people he knows. Right, he's mm-hmm. on his family's farm. There's certain, you know, Marin often talks about how her character is kind of Brian, and and so it was important that the role of her brother embody some of the qualities that he kind of had envisioned in his head, you know, from the people that he'd drawn. And Michael's a big dude. Mm-hmm. Michael's you know, six foot three, I think, you know, he's not a little tiny man. He wanted somebody who felt like he worked on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because again, that brings a level of authenticity to character. So, and I don't know why Xander Berkeley isn't in more horror movies. Maybe this is just me, but mm-hmm. whenever that guy's in a scene, I'm on edge because mm-hmm. I don't know what type of character he, he plays the uh, holding his cards back very well. He um, is bananas in the best <laughs> possible way. But, uh, you know, Xander Berkeley is a character. And, awesome. And, but what was so great about him he, you know, he flew in and out in a day. I mean, he was not on set very long, mm-hmm. so we didn't have. A, but you know, every time it was different. Every time he gave you something new and different, <laughs> a different approach, a different, you know, a different way of looking at this character. And and so you had so much sort of to choose from to kind of construct and build the priest that ultimately made the most sense for the movie. And um, and and that's a real testament to his professionalism and his talent. You know what I mean? To be able to kind of give us all those options and to do all that stuff in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, you know, talk about the it factor. He is an incredibly charismatic man. It's crazy that guy he has two hundred and fifty, yeah. I think, credits somewhere around there. That's I mean, and I think about half of those were in the nineties, but like uh, in in 1995 alone, probably. Uh, but uh, <laughs> well, uh, we recently just had a week where both of our videos uh, had him in it. Like we didn't even you know realize it till after the fact. We were just like, oh yeah, he was in everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He was... Everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, like I was uh, uh, everything. Just yeah. We yeah. Uh, my husband and I were watching. Um, my husband has. He'll hate me for saying this, but like you know, questionable taste in film sometimes. He's the guy that likes the bad movie or he likes the movie that was awesome then, but is totally dated now, but we'll go back and watch it, you know? And I'm not like a huge, I'm not a cinephile, so I'm not like overly snooty about movies, but whatever. Anyway, we were randomly watching, I think it was Terminator. 
Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, that's Xander Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Movie. It was just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he would just pop up like it was in the nineties, especially now. I mean, he's, he's worked just as much, uh, after the nineties that he, that he did in the nineties, but it was like yeah. every big movie that came out just would have some random pop in from Xander Berkeley. It seemed like it was insane. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, yeah, he becomes that very welcome presence anytime he shows up uh, in a yep. movie. I love it. We would like to, uh, thank Adrian Biddle for, uh, giving her, her time. The dark and the wicked, uh, comes out on November 6th in theaters, digital on demand, uh, can vouch for you that it's a good movie. Can, you can, you can, you can watch Absolutely. this and, and yeah, I mean, be in the right mood to watch it, but it's, it's good. It's good. Um, but, um, that's going to do it for this interview. It's Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit, and be sure to visit cinemasins.com.